0: hey everybody james tiley with cyber fm of course joined by johnny fry at team blockchain we discuss the digital bites newsletter that goes out every week but here's something for you now you can listen to digital Bytes uh as well as the old crossover shows with pierre from blockchain radio on the all new team blockchain radio in the cyber fm app what does that basically mean that means that if you miss the podcast or if you forget the link or you lost it you just go into cyber fm click team blockchain and you'll be like wow i missed that interview with baker bots or i remember when johnny talked to ben davis and that was uh back in october and i and i caught it again now you could go back and hear the older shows whenever you want feel free to tune in check it all out and it's great background stuff right maybe while you're eating dinner good old talk radio team blockchain radio now 24 7 in the cyber fm app what do you think about that johnny Wow, you hadn't told me about that. That's fantastic. Brilliant news. Yeah, I figured uh, I could took your same logo, the whole nine, threw it up yeah. in there, and uh you have been some tweaking, tweaking it. You got a some bit. clever
1: techies down there in North Florida, you know? Some clever guys at Cyber.fm.
0: Yeah, we don't know what we're doing.
1: <laughs> okay, well, well, welcome everyone to this week's uh, Digital Byte Show. Um, this is based on the uh, weekly analysis that we send out every Wednesday. So this is the first of December. And as James and I were just saying before we came on air, my goodness, where did that year go? Um, just incredible. It's uh, you know almost coming to the end of the calendar year, um, and uh, I think we've got another three or four shows to go. And uh, yeah, it's been been a year, been a year of change and upheaval, but. Lots going on in this space, certainly.
0: Hey, I wonder if we're going to call it season two. Season two. <laughs> season two. Yeah.
1: Great. Well, one of the things that we did touch on, and I'll only briefly touch on this um, as we're on air, and and that's um, a little bit just sort of centric to the UK. Um, and we've seen in the last um, couple of weeks, the UK Law Commission coming out and saying that... Um, there's really very little that needs to be done in order for English law to recognise smart contracts as being legally enforceable. And, and the reason we drew this to people's attention is that the whole concept of a smart contract was first used um, back in 1994 by a chap called Nick Zababo. But it wasn't until um, Vitalik Buterin, who launched Ethereum and smart contracts really became uh, much, much better known with the Ethereum virtual machine sorting out and basically Creating sort of machine programmable executions, um, and what I what I found quite interesting is that a lot of this, um, a lot of the smart contracts were actually based um, on a enough a, a British uh, chap called Ric- uh, Ricardo. And he had these things called the Ricardian contracts, which were first proposed back in 1996 um, by a chap called Ian Grigg and Gary How- Howland. And what they were talking about was the ability to effectively have a bridge between sort of paper contracts and digital code. But it was in a single document, and they listed out, and we have put it into this week's Digital Bytes the parameters that it would meant, um, or that, that would sorry that it met. And so it's it's important though from a UK perspective. Not not being jingoistic and the UK is anything special, but one thing that the... Well, there's two things we're quite good at in the UK. We seem to invent games, then lose them, you know, like cricket and rugby and football and... Look at the Amer- America's Cup, you know the the Yanks, you know, only races once, and we've never managed to get it back. But the you other thing your whole are, game over. <laughs> but James, the other thing we are well recognised for is is our judicial and legal system, and a number of other countries are likely to sort of mimic and copy. And if, if we're sort of enshrined that smart contracts are legally enforceable, um, I think we're going to see many other jurisdictions over the next few months do the same, and and that's really important in the blockchain and digital asset space because it means that institutions now can start relying on. On these smart contracts. And I know um, after the break, we've got um, the CEO of CoinFirm and um, Mirachata is actually going to be talking about how um, the whole landscape of monitoring money and making of payments. And they've got, a, I think he said one Petra, of data, a huge amount of data, which they're constantly looking and analysing so that they can track and trace where the monies have come from and make sure that the payments are being made um, are coming from the right sources. Because the whole problem and challenge around um, money laundering and know your client has resulted in hundreds of millions of um, fines, which ultimately are coming out of either, you know, the shareholders back pocket, because the profits are less for some of these banks and institutions, or customers are paying more in charges because they have to levy extra charges when they check to make sure that, you know, the money you you want to deposit or you pay for, a you know, for stocks and shares or bonds or a house or a car or something, they've got to make sure that the money is, you know, is actually legitimate. So if we can use things like smart contracts and automate a lot of this, we're going to have quicker safer systems and procedures uh, and at a lower cost and that's you know someone that ran a mutual fund company for a number of years here in the uk that was almost like the holy grail how do you get your systems and procedures and risks stronger and faster without spending more money and i think for the first time we're now beginning to see that happening using things like blockchain technology artificial intelligence machine learning And smart contracts sort of running over the top of that, James.
0: Yeah, that need for um, immediate satisfaction is what, at least on the user end, is really what's going to be a driving factor, I believe, with smart contracts and technology like that. Because anybody who's purchased insurance... For example, I know here in the US, we have a 30-day binder, which is like an IOU or a promise that you'll get insurance in the next 30 days. This technology, real simply, blockchain and a smart contract would activate that insurance in, in what, what would you call it? One confirmation? Yeah, in nanoseconds.
1: So so it, it removes the liability. Well, who are you really on risk in those 30 days? Who's liable for it? If it turns out you said something that was wrong or misleading, can the insurance company then wiggle away the out of it and say, oh, no, 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 we're not actually on risk because we didn't have the ability to confirm"? You can see how that can spiral and spiral easily. But if it's in real time, as you say... Well, that's got to be better for society as a whole to sort of remove those uncertainties.
0: Yeah. Everybody
1: wants everything right now anyway. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you should mention that, though, James, because um, one of the other articles we look at is how blockchain technology is being used in the property sector. We haven't had a chance to check it out in the U.S., but certainly here in the U.K., it, it can take anywhere between four and six weeks to transfer the ownership when you buy and sell a property here in the U.K., so you've got Sounds this sort right. of hiatus, this sort of weird sort of time. I've sold my house to you, but actually you can't say it's your house potentially for up to six weeks. And that's because of all the sort of fairly archaic, analogue, paper-based systems that, you know, we rely on. And if you look at all the different parties, you know, actually to transfer part of a lease could take up to up to nine months. Because you've got, you know, you've got your realtors or in the UK, we call them estate agents. You've got the lender, the borrowers, surveyors, you know, who's insuring it, obviously, you know, the banks, and it's, there's a lot of parties involved. In the, and very often they're all doing very, very similar checks. You know, who is the buyer? Who is the seller? What is their credit status? Are they who they say they are? And a lot of this information is being rep. But if you had one, one ledger, one database where you could go in and say, yes, we've already checked that the buyer is who, who she says she is. And we've already checked the, you know, the seller is who he says he is. And yes, the property is on, you know, number one, the high street in, you know Toronto or you know London or wherever it may well be. So there's some base data which could be automated to say, yep, yeah, all of that is 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 as read. Now there's some more sensitive or some more tricky information that we need to make sure that we get access to. So we, we've we've identified sort of three potential ways that blockchain technology can help in the property sector. Um, you know, by digitising the the ownership interest. Um, so effectively you end up creating, and we, 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 we talked about this before, like with, you could almost see a situation whereby property has its own non fungible token. So the property, um, actually has a, if you like a a digital certificate, a passport where it says, okay, the house was built on this date. These were the constructors. These were the actual architects. These were the, this was the carbon footprint of the materials used. Um, this is when it was, if you like maintained and when it was re clad or redecorated you know, when the plumbing and when, the, you know, you can just go on and on, the you know, electrical certificate, the gas certificate, and, and you've got all that information in one place. So when you then go to sell the property, um, it would be very easy to say, well, you know, we want a checklist of things which ought to be in place. Has does that digital skiffer? Has it been updated? Well, oh three three of them haven't. Right. Get those sorted out rather than plowing through. You know, I bought I bought a house about six years ago here in the U.K., and I, would, I reckon there must have been a stack of paperwork, which was, you know, about six inches high, which you're meant to read through and verify and check. And you know, it's just a nightmare. Whereas the previous house that I bought 20 years ago, it was about one inch high of paperwork. So in this quest to become more compliant and less risky, we're just creating huge amounts of documentation, which at the end of the day, most people, they're never going to read it it's like these terms and conditions when you click on a site and, you check, and there's pages and pages i agree to this 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 and this you know whenever someone like apple updates their phone um you know software and you have to read all this stuff and you know, i agree and it's pages and pages whoever reads it and if you do disagree then it means you can't install the software so what was the point of that? So, yeah, so so one is the digitalization of the interest. The other one is this, the storage of the documentation on a blockchain, meaning other people can get access to it. And then thirdly, the enforcing of different provisions. So maybe in a mortgage contract, you've got these different covenants and contingencies and the lender doesn't want to actually part with the money until all of these things have been sorted out. I previous, um, pe- pre- perhaps previous penalty in paid If there's um, charges against the property or maybe the property has got to have some sort of of maintenance and sorting out so all of those can again be triggered automatically so once they say, look, Johnny, you want to buy that house? Once it's done, this, 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 and this, we'll immediately lend the money, um, as that makes the whole process much faster. And then you can start to see why property itself could become a little bit more liquid. You know, whether it's your home or whether it's an office block, because a lot of this time-consuming stuff actually sort of um, gets compressed and becomes much, much more
0: efficient. I bought that BMW recently. The uh, the electric. How's one. it going? And it's going well. Uh, not going to gas stations is a whole new thing to me. You remember? Love it. Charged it. Up at night? I've charged it maybe on a hard week twice a week. Really? Yeah, it's I thought it would be a lot more than that, but maybe I don't go out enough. I don't know. (laughs) But the reason I brought it up was so I traded in my previous vehicle when I had bought this, and an overpayment occurred with the bank that I had the Jeep with. So yesterday, I had called in, and it's perfect with this. I called in yesterday, and I go, hey, James Tiley, account number, blah, blah, blah. You guys uh, were overpaid by $1,000, and you, I have told you're going to issue me a check. Then you hear it's typing on the computer, tap, 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 tap. You know, you verify everything. The phone call itself is, is an eternity. And then she comes back and she goes, oh, yeah, you see it. Uh, you have a 10, and 16 cents due to you. I was like, okay, great. You know, put that puppy in the mailbox, right? <laughs> she goes, yes, it'll be automatically written out to you, and it'll be a certified check, and it should arrive within four to six weeks. of hell. Four to six weeks. You owe me. How come when I owe you, it's immediate? Absolutely. And the debt collector knocking on your door. But now you owe me and you you have everything in your database, right? Which is probably not distributed ledger at this point, but you're staring at it. You agree. What is that four to six weeks? It's just uncalled for.
1: Yeah. Well, again, that's the old paper-based systems because presumably in the past, they'd paid the money out then realized they'd made mistakes. They've got to- check and double check and triple check to make sure
0: they're not paying you twice. I should be able to say to that woman, I'll send you my Jeep token and I'll send it to that smart contract. And you go ahead and foot back my, my ETH of a thousand dollars, right?
1: Give me the money back that you owe me. You've made, you know, but yeah, it's um, yeah. So, it's, but I, but I think you can therefore see why something, you know, we call it a non fungible token, but if you, I don't know if you remember, but you go back, it wasn't that long ago, people were talking about having a digital twin. So you had your sort of physical, real um, contract, which could represent ownership of a house or it could represent an equity or a bond. And then you have the digital, if you like, twin that sits in, in, a, in a system or a, even a metaverse, whereby you can move that digital twin around, um, you know, much cheaper, much faster, much more efficiently, much safer. Um, and then, you know, if it, if it means that digital twin effectively ends up meaning that it's moved from, you know, James to Johnny, um, and it happens to be a car, then the digital ownership comes to me. Then in time, the car gets shipped to me from, you know, Florida to, you know, here to the UK. You'd have to have a long extension lead, I suppose, because it's quite a long way between you and I at the moment. But there you go. Yeah, those big boats
0: that they got hanging out in California right now, right? God, there's loads of them. Loads of them.
1: But, but that, that, that sort of leads on to one of the other articles that we would. Talking about and wrote about this um, this week in Digital Bytes, and that was looking at sort of non fungible tokens and, and the different ways they're being used. And one, one, one sort of item that caught our attention, because um, it's kind of bizarre, really, the, the very famous film director, Quentin Tarantino, he's actually created a collection of NFTs off the back of the um, cult film Pulp Fiction. And Miramax. Oh, shut up now... and take my money. <laughs> and, and Miramax are, are suing Tarantino or, or taking him to court at least to say, well, you know, you had republishing rights for Pulp Fiction, but they didn't include NFTs because we hadn't thought about it at the time. So they weren't mentioned. Therefore, you're not allowed to do it. But the NFTs that Tarantino is selling, he's actually selling sort of clips of unseen footage, I suppose, from the cutting room. It didn't go into the film, but it, it was actually filmed as part of the film at some stage. So Miramax don't know what they're, they haven't seen what they are suing for because it's, only can be seen by the only the NFT, so they're kind of suing for something that's a bit invisible at this stage. So just goes to show how crazy you know that it, it can get. But you know that's that's a good example because Hollywood's all over NFTs, you know, like a rash at the moment. In the same way, we're seeing last week we were talking to Grant Blazdo from uh, Copernic, and he was telling us how that space market is growing to five hundred billion. And then, and then we saw there was a survey carried out by a a blockchain platform called Stratis. And they did a survey in the UK and, and the US of sort of chief technology offers and uh, CEOs. And they, they were talking about the the, the appetite for using um, blockchain and NFT within their sort of online games. And something, you know nearly 60% of the game developers are already using blockchain technology. Um, and they're looking to actually use more and more of the non-fungible tokens within the games. So this is something where it's grown. And growing in popularity, and uh, I say, it was, it was a survey that um, Stratis had commissioned. Which, if you want to copy, then um, there's a hyperlink in this week's Digital Bytes you can click on and get get hold of. Certainly, so yeah, it's it's a it, variety of different ways that we're seeing developing and using the different sort of ways. You know, another example is Christie's, the auctioneers. They're actually now creating a curated collection with the NFT platform OpenSea. So there, that means that the collectors can use the OpenSea platform the sort of various different NFTs that the Christie's have looked at and given some sort of endorsement or certainly said, yeah, this is what they are and this is what they represent, certainly. They're not necessarily recommending them, but it's, you know, a crusty old auction house that's a couple of hundred years, maybe 300 years old. Getting involved in this relatively new space is just shows you how, quickly this sector is being adopted by many many different companies
0: yeah they definitely jumped in i thought they did in a uh, sotheby's as well right a I minute mean, but if that's your wheelhouse art and artistic endeavors and even quentin tarantino with the movie clips you're probably constantly looking for what the very next big thing is anyway i find it interesting that they would have an issue with quentin tarantino going back to that because if you go on youtube or something similar you're always researching and looking at director cuts deleted scenes almost like a hobby yeah so the idea it, that he it, it, would make is, money from it is it the yeah but there's money now involved. You know, tarantino's actually
1: sold these nfts presumably and made a lot of money and miramax said well hang on that was our we should get that money it's it's normally always about cash isn't it james sounds like it's a requirement for copyright <laughs> what's well, good so james after the break as i say we've got mirace coming up from a coin firm based in he well, he's based in Toronto, but the business itself is is actually headquartered here in London in the UK. But they've got their their team of sort of blockchain analytics specialists, and they're helping financial services companies be able to track and trace monies as they're being moved around. And it, it really, really interesting to hear how they're developing and using the technology to make you know basically make payments much much faster and much much safer for for all of us, which which has to be good news. But that, that's coming up after the break.
0: Yeah, Toronto guys must be freezing up there. <laughs> <laughs> okay
1: so we'll be back after the break obviously if anyone wants to get a copy all the backdated um, interviews now that we've been doing um are on cyber.fm as james said earlier on and if anyone wants to get a hard copy of digital bytes it comes out every wednesday morning uk time just contact james at uh, cyber.fm or myself johnny fried that's j-o-n-n-y-f-r-y just look up on LinkedIn, and um, we'll we'll get a copy on the email to you, and you can have a hard copy with all the different hyperlinks of Digital Bytes, which comes out as I say on a weekly basis.
0: Yeah, we'll have to make that easier going forward too. Now that now that you're a bona fide channel, right, twenty four seven streaming. You're <laughs> right, we're gonna have to uh, put that feeler out there for people just to sign up right away and get the uh, the article. That way, they can follow along with us. They know what we're talking about. That's true. That's good. Good idea. Okay. All right, James. We'll, we'll sign off now, and
1: we'll be back after the break um, to talk to CoinFirm.
0: All righty. Sounds like a plan. Hey, Johnny. We're back. It's me and you. I'm James Tiley, and you are bringing on a special guest from CoinFirm from the newsletter this week.
1: Correct. Correct. We've got th- this week. Um delighted to be uh, um, joined by um, Mirsa, as in Mirachacha. You, you, you told me earlier on. Is, is that correct, Mircha?
2: Yes, that's exactly it. But only the first part of the dance name.
1: (laughs) The first part of the dance, absolutely. And really, really pleased. One of your colleagues wrote an article in this week's Digital Bytes, looking at the five-step framework, which he called Addressing Gaps and Inconsistencies of Digital Currency and the Compliance Laws. And um, before we get into the article, though, one of the things I love having all these different guests that we have on board is that they're literally from all over the world. And here I am just south of London, James is sitting there just north of Florida. Is that right, James? I always get confused where you are.
0: Yeah, I'm right on that borderline. The only fancy that we have is uh, fancy like Applebee's. You guys sound <laughs> real classy. <laughs> <laughs> and
2: I say you're you're in Toronto I think is that right yes yes I am in Toronto I am and you can see by by my name I am I'm Romanian I moved to Canada 30 years ago and I've been in software development uh, my whole life I I don't know almost 40 years now and uh, I've uh, done many things moved from uh, being a software developer software developer to being a software development manager and, and executive. I've started companies. I've invested in companies. I, I ran corporate VC for a while that made early investments in fintech startups. Coinfirm is my fifth startup. I was uh, asked by uh, the investors to come and help the company grow. And I'm happy to see us uh, becoming larger and larger, getting more and more customers and in a sense, riding the wave of uh, crypto adoption worldwide and riding the wave of the realization that there is a need enforcing regulations for creating and enforcing regulations in the crypto world. And uh, that is a, a condition of uh, future growth, uh, right. keeping the bad guys out and uh, have as much as possible only the clean activities in uh, the crypto world.
1: Brilliant. Okay. So so CoinFirm themselves, they're, they're, they're based? is headquarters in the UK, I think, isn't it?
2: Yes, the company is headquartered in the UK. We have uh, we got a strong presence in Poland. Yeah, we have uh, sales and marketing in the UK and we have the technology team and the customer support team there in Poland. The company was uh, founded by Polish entrepreneurs and many of them are still with us today in very senior roles. And they have uh, both uh, the AML experience and the crypto blockchain experience that was necessary to create such a good product. That now we have a lot of people using it worldwide. So while yes, we are a, a UK company with a very strong presence in Poland, our customers are on all continents. Yeah. So so, so global company.
1: And to be fair, the company itself. I mean, blimey, I, I first came across Coinfirm it must have been four, maybe five years ago. So. You've been around for a little while and seen some, obviously some changes going through all that ICO madness. And, and now, you know, we've, we've secure STOs and now we've got NFTs and you can throw in a handful of DeFi's just for sort of, you know, just for a bit of fun, I suppose. All these funny acronyms. But the, the challenge remains and the concern, I suppose, for the regulators is always, you know, how, how can we be certain that the people engage in digital assets that they are who they, who they say they are, and they're, and they're not some sort of nefarious actor.
2: And so regulations are needed, and regulators, they need to step up. I think we see that happening around the world. And it's coming from the fact that uh, it's not only the total market cap of all the cryptocurrencies in the world. I think it's now approaching $3 trillion. And uh, it may get to 10 trillion, 15 trillion in two, three, four years. But it's also the number of people involved. Like one year ago, there were five, 50 million people world. Now it's 100 million. It's still a fraction of uh, what you see in fiat currencies or government backed currencies, but it's a growing field. And you cannot, no one can ignore it. Not the regulators, not uh, not the financial institutions or what we call virtual asset service providers. And regulation is needed, as I've used this example for many years ago, before I was born, no, after I was born, uh, seatbelts were like, oh, it's a, we don't need seatbelts in cars. Uh, it's my freedom. I do not are needed." And that's how we got less accidents and more people using cars. And these are just examples that are outside the crypto world. Very clearly in the fiat world, there is there are illicit activities happening in the crypto world. By detecting them and keeping those players out, the whole field can grow and fulfill its promise of, and I'm not going to talk about this in detail, but it's about uh, very easy to transfer money, very easy to isolate yourself from inflation, things like that, but that's a, it's a different topic. Yeah? So by keeping bad actors out, the whole field can grow. And yeah, this is rather- where we come. Yes. But
1: but it's rather ironic, though, isn't it? Because what we're doing, we're we're obviously trying to draw some best practices from, let's say, the traditional financial players, the the sort of the banks, the, the pension funds, the asset managers, people like that. And we're trying to say, well, look, we want to be able to prove who you are. But those very traditional players, they're the ones that consistently are getting fined or paying penalties. You know, this week we've seen Westpac in Australia. Just being um, penalties over a hundred million dollars again, so it's I always find it a little bit ironic, and it reminds me of the you know the sort of the story of don 't throw stones if you live in a glass house and you 've got all these institutions who are saying oh no crypto and anyone involved in this area um, we've got to make sure they are who they say they are, but these very same banks consistently have been fined billions tens of billions over the last yep, t- yep. ten years
2: you are <laughs> you are making the point that I was going to make. What oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. what, you, what we see is that uh, the practices as they are, that not necessarily reducing the risk for uh, those financial institutions in the fiat currency world, those practices are being used as an inspiration for regulations in crypto, but they are not always applicable. And in the crypto world, it's actually different. There are um, a billion maybe addresses on the Bitcoin blockchain and there may be a trillion transactions. That's a blessing and a curse because we see them all and we can see what's going on. So in the, let's say you go to a bank with $10,000 in cash and you want to make that deposit, that's a suspicious activity. They have no idea if it's a problem or not. And where is that money coming from? It's just suspicious. And now they investigate and it's manual process. There are teams doing that. In the blockchain world, in the distributed ledger technology world, with software like ours, you can detect, you can run algorithms and see what has happened. Where is that money coming from? Was it ever involved, that individual or entities controlled by that individual involved in any kind of illicit activity. So it's much easier, much faster, much more precise. So we can even forecast when, if, when the financial world will move to mostly using crypto as uh, a form of currency, there will be a lot less illicit activities and no fines. Yeah. So you can make the business case that just move here, you will pay no fines in the future because you can detect any of this kind of activities.
1: Yeah, but that could backfire on the regulators because the regulators, well, certainly in the UK, all the fines go to HM Treasury. So you know, <laughs> they'd be they'd be a lot worse off if they no, they couldn't find people. But but, yeah. but but joking apart, again, I've come from a traditional regulated background, as indeed James has. You know, I was in I was in the UK. James was um, in Wall Street in the USA, and and there so much time is spent on compliance. And if it's time, it's cost. And it's either cost to the investor or it's cost to the shareholders. And yet we can get rid of a lot of these paper-based systems by using, as you say, the, the automation um and smart contracts and, and having structured data. But but how do you how does someone like CoinFirm you how do you actually do that? And how can you be certain that what you're looking at is actually correct? And they, they haven't, I don't know, put it through a tumblr or masked in some shape or
2: form so we coin firm we are blockchain analytics company this is how we find who in the field there are about 10 companies doing this in the world and we are one of them Uh, quite successful i may say so what we do is we collect data from all the or not all but many blockchains the bitcoin blockchains Mm -hmm. the ethereum blockchain cardano and others we collect all the data into our own data warehouse we have the a petabyte of data yeah so that's a thousand terabytes and we also collect data from all that's happening off-chain so not on-chain off-chain in the dark web uh, on the internet in general we correlate all that and we run over 300 algorithms that will that will provide enough proof if there is an illicit activity that has been involved in that money or with that counterparty along the way, that the vast the virtual asset service providers that use our software, can have a very good confidence level not to do business with that kind of party. Yeah. And it's evidence, yeah, it's not a probability it's not uh we estimate that there is an 83 percent chance of this being involved no we have actually proof that can be can go to courts so we've been in courts we've been experts showing that this money has been involved in stolen bitcoin yeah it's at that level so it's not probabilistic it's not minority report yeah it is it is evidence deterministic one Petabyte of data, over 300 algorithms that will constantly verify everything and will tell our clients if they should do business with that okay, address so, or not.
1: So you wander into a bank, um, we, we won't name any names, but you wander into a bank in, you know, in Germany or London or, you know, New York and and you show them your... Ability to analyze and assess data, and we're talking in a matter of you know, let's say minutes, if not probably seconds, you can do a lot of this analysis, and then you compare it to what your average foreign exchange handler, your your bank, your sort of you know what one of the wire agencies, and they're relying on just their data, on perhaps paper records, on people making phone calls. It 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 must be a little bit embarrassing. When you compare the digital capabilities with the analog paper capabilities that we've come to rely on
2: so much. It is a game changer. And we think that it will slowly dawn on financial institutions that they will have huge profit margins and a lot less risk and a lot less cost if they move to cryptocurrencies as a medium of exchange. And with the kind of technology that we have, there is no need for large departments. There is no need for verifying manually. We were supposed to, one of our investors, um, when we had the latest round of investment, they they sent us a million dollars. And the banks, along the way, they stopped that wire because when they checked on our website, they started to do it with crypto, and they said, "Oh, crypto, no, let's investigate." took two weeks <laughs> took two weeks and half a dozen people across three continents and three different banks to find out everything is fine. They sell software to crypto exchanges. they don't run a crypto scam. It yeah, took them yeah, yeah. But, and that was a that was that was a million dollars, yeah
1: yeah, yeah well, I, the reason I laugh is that. Um, we used to send digital bytes out on a very well known um, newsletter publication software um, and uh, that that particular um, company they they banned us from using their software because um, we wrote an article about the Chinese digital currency,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which as you know it 's not a cryptocurrency it 's not run on a blockchain, but because we mentioned the words digital currency, they said that we were um, recommending cryptocurrencies. And we were trying to encourage investors. And, and I couldn't get, you know, I, I went through to, you know, a, a practically, well, I went through to the the marketing director of this very, very well-known company. And um, they just couldn't accept the fact that we weren't writing about cryptocurrencies. We were writing about, you know, the second biggest economy in the world and their new digital currency. So I do know exactly what you mean. There's, there's a huge lack of understanding, isn't there?
2: Exactly. And I used the seatbelt example before. Let me give you another example. If you try to drive your car from home to work with your eyes closed, the yeah. risk is huge. You are not going to do it. So yeah. better better walk, yeah? Or, you know, open your eyes. Use yeah. blockchain analytics software and open your eyes. See what's going on. Understand if there is a risk. do so, so what are because- the
1: objections then? When you, when you say this to some of your your customers, I appreciate you're not at the front end all the time. You've got a, a sales team Talking, what are the common objections that come back that you'd say, well, often this is a reason why they haven't done it or why they're reluctant to implement a sort of a, a blockchain-based system?
2: Yeah, it's a very interesting situation that we are in right now. And being a small company, I'm very much involved with frontline discussions. And we see clearly that it's not about, it's not about competition. All of us together, we have maybe touched less than 10% of the market, of the yeah of the vast that should use such a solution it's the what i call uh i'll do it myself competitor and i'll do it myself with some blockchain explorers and a spreadsheet without realizing that we are talking uh, we have a petabyte but without a hundred terabytes of data you cannot do it so there is no spreadsheet that can do that and uh, it takes a while. We see now various prospects that we've talked with in the past couple of years. Now they are coming and said, "Yes, you are right. Uh How much is it?" And so, oh, it's really expensive. And when they see our price, they say, "That's peanuts." And yeah. some of them we close like in twenty-four hours. Yeah? I was so, saying expensive as a joke. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, no, no. Hopefully, yeah, no, it came I, I, through. Yeah. Yeah, uh,
1: it, and that's interesting. So you're finding. That people you were talking to two or three years ago are now coming back and saying, well, hang on, we do need to, you know, we want to open our eyes. How can you help? So you're seeing more people, more companies, at least interested in what you're offering.
2: Exactly. We've seen, we had one example, someone was selling services, doesn't matter what they are selling, but they were selling for uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum and stable coins. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, a, About one year later, they said, oh, we had 10,000 people that bought from us and they've sent us uh, cryptocurrencies, 10,000 addresses. We have no idea who they are. When the auditor came and said, like, who are these people? (laughs) Maybe the dictator of some African country. Yeah, Yeah, someone who also (laughs) buys, you know, condos in Florida. And uh, they said, oh, we have no idea. So if you don't want to be shut down by regulators... Use a software like a blockchain analytics they bought from us within a week. Luckily for them, none of those 10,000 had any risk. Good for them. But from now on, everything new that's coming, they, they run it through our system. Yeah, That was like, they are not a virtual asset service provider. They are not a bank. They are not an exchange. They sell services for crypto. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's a, that's the method, the method of payment. Yeah, and for us, it's a fringe case, but it shows that there is a need. If you want to know who do your business with, yeah, and go beyond, you know, suspicious activity reports. Someone comes with eight thousand cash in the suitcase. Oops! Let's track those guys. In the meantime, we miss the billions, and now we pay hundreds of millions in fines.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that, that's yeah. very much what's happening. And but you in your in in the article um, that. that your company wrote this week in digital bites you uh there's obviously a challenge around because you're you're looking at all sorts of different jurisdictions and there's no common regulation between different countries in terms of what they're looking for how do you overcome some of that challenge would you have to sort of if you like dial the the, what you do and how you do it depending on the, the the local rules and regulations
2: you know we are in that situation you know, the old joke, how do you eat one el- one big elephant? Yeah, like one bite at a time. Yeah? yeah, it may take a while. So that was the reason, the the trigger for uh, writing and uh, publishing that article. Thank you for for helping us with that. It is, we talk with a dozen different regulators and being experts, we are being asked to help them draft the legislation, the regulation of the legislation. and that's how we noticed. Yeah? They all take slightly different angles. And because we have customers all over the world, we have to adapt our software solution to various regulations. So, of course, the next step is after understanding that crypto is here to stay and after 486 uh, attempts to ban it, yeah? like it's here to stay. The next step, and this is what's happening right now, is regulation is being developed in many areas, in many countries. Yeah, we see this all over. What we are saying is there is a need for international collaboration between regulators because it's the same Bitcoin in the US as it is in Nigeria, as it is in Thailand. It's the same Bitcoin. It's the same technology. It's the same cryptocurrency. If you have different regulations, of course, you will have uh, uh, jurisdiction arbitrage and you see exchanges with teams in Ukraine Incorporated in Seychelles and actually run out of New York. Yeah. So that's not something that is doable long term. So regulators will need to establish in time. And this is the point that we are trying to make to align on the basics of regulation. And after that, the private sector with the help of blockchain analytics companies will help them all the private sector that participate in these virtual asset service providers. They will meet the regulator needs through using tools like ours right
1: right and, and and the other thing it's not it's not just about cryptocurrencies which are as you say they're they're a relatively small amount of money when you can pair the size of bond and markets equity markets or even the derivative markets but as we start to see the digitization of those real assets then they can benefit from the the standards and the procedures and the the controls that you're, you're, you're putting around cryptocurrencies, they can also be put around other digital assets, which really has to be exciting and good news in terms of better value for customers, less cost for shareholders.
2: If we use, um, let's say, the U.S. dollar valuation, we are talking about the whole the whole crypto world, and that and that includes the stable coins, the main Bitcoin, Ethereum, and uh, six hundred thousand uh, tokens. That have been invented, it's between two and three trillion. The overall financial market, is, I've seen various estimates, five hundred to six hundred trillion, and that includes real estate and all the bonds and all the stocks and all the deposits and all the banks and all the gold and all that. So mm-hmm. we are talking uh, three hundred times more. Yep. The, the technology that is behind cryptocurrencies can be used to significantly improve both the transparency and the cost involved into running. Uh, the rest of the world on the traditional rails. So these new rails will help the whole world grow. You see in the DeFi space how derivatives have taken, they have like a life of their own. There is clearly a need for this kind of activity so it will move. Stocks today are worldwide, they are priced in government currency. Real estate is priced, most of it like is priced in government currency. As it will move to different rails, they will all benefit from both the technology and the regulations around this technology mm-hmm. in the crypto world, like, like DLT, distributed ledger technology
1: it's possible to actually have better risk control stronger compliance better treasury management at a lower cost because you can actually uh, automate an incredible amount of this and using smart contracts and the structured data so it's actually in people's benefits to have a more secure situation, whereas most people think at the moment, oh, soon as you mentioned digital cryptocurrencies, oh, that's higher risk because it's it's something to do with Bitcoin or Ponzi schemes or it, it, it's got bad press, which is unjustifiable now, given where we are.
2: I had a discussion with someone who was talking exactly about, oh, but the Ponzi. And so, OK, so when was Ponzi invested? Was it, uh, sorry. Invented was it invented after Bitcoin? When mm-hmm. was the drug trade invented after Bitcoin? When was uh, stealing invented after Bitcoin? Yeah. So the fact that various uh, participants use crypto to run illicit activities—they have not been invo- invented by the existence of cryptocurrencies. The total, the estimates, and this from us and other other market participants, the total of all illicit activities in crypto is about one percent. You know what is the total percentage of various illicit activities in the fiat world, government currencies? One percent. So there is nothing special. Yeah. At at the same point, it's much easier to catch them. Yeah. So there's oh, but tumblers or mixers. We do have the technology to show exactly what's going on. And there's oh, it's anonymous. It's not anonymous. We have identified over 15,000 entities that participate in cryptocurrency activities, and we have uh, risk assessed all of them. So we have all this uh, very clearly documented and demonstrated. Anyone who's using such a technology can see who they are doing the business with. In, let's say, the traditional banking, you receive a $100,000 wire from Bank of America. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Now, Bank of America needs to verify who they received $100,000, but no one sees the whole path, all the hops. We can see hundreds of hops. We can trace it all the way back to how this happened. And it may be 100 bitcoins and only one came from illicit activity. We can show all of that. And uh, the VASP, the virtual asset service provider, they can make a decision based on their own rules, if that's acceptable or not, and run their own automated AML.
0: Yeah,
1: no much. No, it's it, it's great. I, I, I'm just conscious of, of of time. James, have you got any anything you'd like to add or queries before we wrap up this week's show? Or I, I just find it fascinating because I think this is well. I don't think this is the way. Certainly, the financial services and many many other businesses are going to go because it's just safer and it's it's
0: less risk for the business. It's definitely going to uh, help improve adoption things like that. The only listening to everything that he said as a as a user i'm trying to put my perspective that way i kept going back in my mind to uh creating like a credit reporting agency you know like in in the us we have a transunion and uh experian equifax and it sounds like you could you could accomplish that with this you could probably establish a credit score for blockchain
2: we have done the- Something uh, very similar, and I'm using uh, the credit scoring uh, example uh, when I explain this, what we do to customers. In in the DeFi space, everything is run by a smart contract. We now have provided our technology as a smart contract. So before you run a transaction, before you accept money into a liquidity pool, or before you accept money into a staking pool, or whatever you want to do, you can ask our smart contract, if that's a high risk or a low risk or a medium risk address. And we provide a number similar to a credit score. I mean, credit score, is, I don't know, 1 to 800. No one has 1 and no one has 800. Maybe, I don't know, Warren Buffett has 800. But we provide between 1 and 99. And in the smart contract, the receiving smart contract, they can decide under 60, it's fine. Over 60, I don't do business with that kind of counterpart. And we have on the blockchain, we are running this on both the Ethereum and uh, the RSK blockchain from IOV Labs. They are our partner. We are running these smart contracts. And our customers that that are running the smart contract, they can detect if they want to do business with this uh, with this address, if the, if you want to accept a transaction. Well, well, there you go. Yeah. I think, and I this is real job. time. Yeah, that, it's real time. Smart contact doesn't require a AML department. Well, that, yeah, I'm not sorry. That, I think that really is important. It's in real
1: time. It's not nine to five when the banks are open, or as they used to be, ten o'clock to three o'clock, or some crazy nonsense five days a week. Um,
2: yeah, yeah Sunday, Sunday evenings as well. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and the updates aren't I, once a month. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, Mitch, that, that's fascinating. I, I know we could go talking for ages. And ages. Thank you very much for coming on the show today and send my love to Toronto. You're in a beautiful city there. Um, and, uh, and James, I, I think that's it for another, another week. And uh, thanks for co hosting the show this week. And obviously, if anyone wants to have a copy of uh, CoinFirm's report, then please just contact either James at cyber.fmradio or myself. You can find me, J O N N Y F R Y, on LinkedIn. And we'll get a copy of, um, of, of the
0: um, article that
1: Queen um, Firm had done. And uh, I think that's it, really, James. Until next week, we'll be back on the air.
0: Yeah, I got cold just thinking about Toronto. This is the first week of December. We're wrapping up this year. We've probably only got two or three more to go, right? Yeah, just another couple
1: of weeks. Yeah, Manchester, before I forget, what, what is the weather in Toronto today? Is it, is it chilly? You got snow?
2: Uh, we had snow a week ago, but it's gone now. So I was waiting for more snow to be able to go skiing. But uh, we will have snow and we will go skiing. So, yeah, it's, it's uh, nice. Poor, poor it's nice. You, you, have, you, have yeah. you have four seasons. Yeah, you have four seasons. I got, well, yeah, I got get two cold, seasons. Very
1: cold and not so cold.
0: Right. Yeah. I, I, get, um, I get summer and then three weeks of winter and then I go fishing.
2: <laughs> yeah. Okay. I thought it's rain and not rain seasons. Yeah. Yeah, that's England. That's it.
1: We get oh, we get a couple of days of sun. It's it's nice when the sun does come out. But there you go. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, James. Thank you, Murcher. That's really interesting, and hopefully, we'll get you back on the airways in a couple of months and get an update on on what's happening with transfer.
2: It has been my pleasure, and thank you for having me and uh, giving us the opportunity to talk with your to have your audience listen to what we have to say. Thank you.
1: Not, not, Not at all. Not at all. Thanks, James.